Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Come and take it. Come and take it. An unarmed individual is a subject. Come and take it. Hey folks, right now, right this whole gun control issue is a big topic. And I just want to, to kind of clear the air because there are a lot of people out there that are talking, talking, saying things, and they really have no clue. i give you a great case in point, point. On The View, Joy Behar comes out and says, when black people get guns, then gun laws will change. Uh, Joy, I just have an example of some of my weapons right here. Last time I checked, I was black, even though Joe Biden said since I didn't support him and vote for him, I was not black. And also to the other co-host there on The View, I'm a black Republican, a conservative. And yes, we do exist and we're around. And I'm just sick and tired of all of these people saying things that they have no clue about. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off with a little show and tell. Remember that R&B song, show and tell? And remember how we used to do that in school? Because I think that right now we need to put a visual to a lot of the language that is out there, just to show how dangerous it is. Let me start out with one of my favorite weapons here. This is a Henry repeating rifle, 44 mag. And I've already gone through, all the chambers are clear, no no ammunition loaded. You know, some people would say that this was the weapon that won the West, 44 mag repeating rifle. You know, here you go. Lever action, and you see no, nothing there. Now, Maybe this semi-automatic rifle, because that's what it is, with one pull of the trigger, you get one firing of a round. So this also is a semi-automatic rifle, which the left is talking about banning. Some people would say this could be an assault weapon, because guess what? It was used during the Indian Wars when we expanded westward. So maybe that's one of the things that we don't want to have these weapons sold out there because it was used during an oppressive war. See, that's the concern with all of this weird language that people are using. They don't understand how it applies to many different weapons. And oh, by the way, understand that as I lay this weapon down here, it cannot get up, it cannot load itself, it cannot fire itself. The whole thing about firearms and weapons is that it takes the exchange or interchange with an individual, a human. And that's why we should be focused on the individual. I'm a responsible, law-abiding, legal gun owner. And so I don't need people talking about how they're going to come down and they're going to take away semi-automatic rifles. You know, anything can be used to assault another individual. So these are just semi-automatic rifles. Let me give you another great case in point. Maybe some of y'all would recognize this. Since we just recently, earlier this week, had the Army birthday, and we know that uh, just last week or so, we celebrated the 78th anniversary of the D-Day landings, Normandy, Operation Overlord. This is an M1 Garand semi-automatic rifle. As a matter of fact, General George Patton said that this was the rifle that won World War II. And if you were watching the Band of Brothers series, you know that 
Major Dick Winters, when he was the company commander of Easy Company 506, he led a bayonet charge against a Nazi battalion using this exact same weapon with a similar type of bayonet fix. This is mine. And again, you know, here is the rounds that go into it. 30-06, eight rounds. It's a clip. This is a top-feeding magazine. As you see, it was empty. And after you fire it, semi-automatic, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, bang, clip comes out. That clip, that magazine cannot jump and put itself into this weapon. This weapon cannot jump up and fire itself. Now, when people talk about we have to ban semi-automatic weapons, weapons of war, so you mean to tell me that you're going to come in and take away this incredible weapon of World War II? My father was a corporal in the United States Army and served in World War II. I don't intend on giving this rifle up. No way. Not happening. Another replica weapon from World War II. Some of y'all may recognize this. Again, open chamber, nothing loaded. Empty magazine here. I'll just... Make sure that you all see it. This is an M1A1 Thompson carbine. Now, the thing that I love about this, if you were paying attention to Saving Private Ryan, you saw that this was the weapon that Tom Hanks' character was using. And also, even Ted Danson used this exact same weapon, the M1A1 Thompson. Semi-automatic carbine. 45 caliber bullet. Now... Again, here's a semi-automatic weapon that was used in World War II. So when the left comes out and starts talking about they have to take away these rifles that were used in war, well, I have to tell you that this 45 caliber round is a little bit more powerful than that 223 round that goes into an AR-15. And so, again, I'm going to lay this weapon here. Beautiful weapon, one of my favorite. It's really for close quarter combat, urban environments, things of that nature. Because with that uh, 45 caliber in this, you're not going to get too much long range. But you know something else that really troubled me about my M1A1 Thompson? It took me almost eight months to get possession of this weapon. Because for whatever reason, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms classifies this as a short barrel rifle. Now, I don't know what dummy in that bureaucratic agency came up with, but what's the difference between this being a short barrel, long barrel, medium barrel, whatever? You still pull the trigger one time, one round comes out. See, this is what concerns me when you have bureaucrats making all of these rules and regulations. Why was it that as a legal, law-abiding, responsible gun owner, on top of going through a background check, 4473 form, I then had to go get fingerprinted, go get photos taken of me, and submit another $200 to get the government permission to have this because it's a quote-unquote short barrel rifle, which doesn't mean anything. It's just a semi-automatic rifle. And that's why we need to have people that are up there on Capitol Hill or wherever that understand these things and understand what language means and actually have gone out and gone through a process of buying weapons. And let me tell you something. I bought weapons in gun stores. I bought weapons at gun shows. No matter where, you have to go through that 4473 background check. 
The only weapon that I did not go through a 4473 background check was with this M1 Garand. Why? Because a veteran thought so highly of me that he gave it to me. He was a legal, law-abiding, gun-owning veteran, responsible, and so am I. And so I don't need people to come down here and interfere because it says the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now let's finish up over here with the one that everybody is so upset about. This here is a Spikes Tactical AR-15. Again, chamber's open, no magazine in there. Here's that devious, scary, quote-unquote, large-capacity magazine. But again, it does not do anything. This thing cannot grow legs and place itself into the magazine well. It cannot charge itself. It cannot fire itself. This is a semi-automatic rifle. That's what it is. And yes, it does have an optic sight here. I took the hard sights off and I put a red dot sight on it. Some people call this an AR pistol because I could just call it a carbine. But let me explain something to you. Having been in combat in recent years, you don't want to take this into a combat zone. Why? Because it's a semi-automatic. You cannot get a higher rate of fire from this. And so when everyone is talking about something that is a, a weapon of war, no person with the right frame of mind would take this semi-automatic weapon into a combat zone because you want to be able to deliver a three-round burst high rate of fire. You can only go from safe to semi-automatic on this. And again, unless I pick it up, it's not going to engage anybody. It's not going to do anything. It's all about the individual. And we're going to talk to someone tonight that used an AR-15 to protect his community. See, it is about the person, their intent, being it good or evil. And we have to be able to delineate that. So when we're talking about banning weapons and all of these things and banning magazines, it's not about any of these weapons that you see here. That all of them, especially these here, have been in combat operations. It's about the person that is the owner. And here on my hip, there you see it. That is a Glock 43X 9mm. And Joe Biden, a 9mm round is not going to blow someone's lung out of their body. But this is for my personal protection. And why do I have this for my personal protection? Because right now, we have people, the progressive socialist leftists, with this bail reform that are releasing violent criminals back onto the streets. we got a problem here in Texas, down in Houston, where we have judicial activists that are releasing violent criminals back on the street. We have a problem in Austin, Texas, where they defunded the police by some $150 million. And guess what? Austin shot up to be the third highest city for increase in murders. So we have to be able to protect ourselves. See, the founding fathers knew that these here that are before me, I'm an armed individual, which means I can be a citizen. I am part of that well-regulated militia. Regulated meaning well-trained. And that's what I like to do. I like to go out and I like to fire my weapons and make sure I still have those skills. Because maybe, just maybe, I have to be in a position where I have to confront someone that wants to use a weapon for nefarious purposes to harm People in my community, maybe people in my church, like we saw with Jack Wilson here in Fort Worth at the White Settlement Community Church. 
See, we have to be able to protect ourselves. And when I think about what happened down in Uvalde, let me tell you something. I've gone through the background check system. How is it that the young man, that shooter in Uvalde, Texas, who was living in a house with a grandfather who had a criminal record, which means that that grandfather could not own weapons, could not be around weapons. How could he put down that address as his place of residency and nothing popped up? You want to talk about a red flag? That's a red flag. We don't need to create new laws. We just need to make sure that the system can take care of that. Just the same, there were five to six call-outs to that shooter in Uvalde's home. There were some 21 call-outs to the shooter in Parkland, Florida. We knew about the shooter in Buffalo, New York. He was brought in for mental evaluation. Guess what? He was released. See, I have no problem if we look at juveniles and we see that they have troubling and violent behavior, put them into the system. So that even when they turn 18, they're in the system. So when the background check comes, if they're trying to purchase a firearm, bing, something goes off. But the other thing we got to look at is what's happening in these homes. we got broken homes. The other thing we have to look at is society and how they're pushing violence and things of this nature out there. We have so devalued life of the unborn and the born that these young people, they don't see any problem with going into a school and shooting young people. So this is my little show and tell to make sure that people understand that every single time I go out to purchase a weapon, I have to go back through that background check system. And I have to make sure that my record is clean. And I have to make sure that there's no false information. There are questions on there about having a dishonorable discharge. There are questions on there about mental defectiveness. So what we have is a breakdown in the system. And we're going to talk about another one of those breakdowns that happened in Sutherland Springs, Texas, which unfortunately many people lost their lives because of. So let's first and foremost clean up the system before we start trying to clean out my gun closet. Welcome to the Steadfast and Law Podcast. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. And as you saw in my opening, we're talking about this whole issue about the Second Amendment, where it says very simply, a well-regulated militia, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Pretty simple language for me. And we just laid out some of the weapons that I had uh, from my home to just give an understanding of what this whole thing about semi-automatic rifles and weapons of war, what it really means. But when you boil it down, this is all about disarming the populace because every totalitarian, tyrannical government has had to disarm people in order to control them. And one of the topics that people always bring out is that when there is some type of shooting, politicians are supposed to do something. They're supposed to fix this. And, of course, the way that they fix it is that they have to go after the weapon and not look at the person. So I want to bring in a very close and dear friend of mine who, without a doubt, is a hero. Because if you think about and you remember what happened on November, November the 5th of 2017 in Sutherland Springs, Texas, When someone went into a church, it was his church, and they started to fire an AR-15 in that church, a semi-automatic rifle, killing the congregants there. One person moved to the sound of the guns. One person, an ordinary individual, did an extraordinary thing, and that is my dear friend, Stephen Williford. Stephen, it's such a pleasure and an honor to be joined with you. I believe you're down in my birth town of Atlanta, Georgia. I am I am right by Atlanta, Georgia, and I love Georgia. 
Well, it's a, it's a pretty great state, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm honored to be a son of Georgia, but I'm also honored to be one of those many Georgians who uh, came here to the state of Texas to fight for liberty and freedom, uh, like Mirabeau Lamar and also uh, Mr. Fan, Colonel Fannin. Let's talk about what happened back on that day, November the 5th of 2017, when you heard those shots ringing out and your daughter brought it to your attention. What went through your mind? Well, I I just knew that this couldn't happen in my community. We're a small, tight-knit community of less than 600 people total population. And, uh, you know, this is my community, the community that I'm fourth generation in and the community I love. And so immediately what went through my mind is, is this can't happen. And, you know, um, my daughter... Uh, bless her heart, she thinks her daddy can fix anything. Mm. And she came running in and told me that the shooting was happening, knowing that I would get into action. And that's what's supposed to happen is that, you know, part of that understanding of the well-regulated militia, because we cannot carry a police officer on our hip at all times. But when you have individuals that can respond to emergency like you did, uh, that is how we save lives in the community. And I think that that was one of the things that we saw in contrast, you being able to you know, go into your gun closet, arm yourself and go in and confront this uh, assailant, this attacker. Think about if the parents down in Uvalde, Texas, had been able to do the same thing. Maybe there would have been a different result. Absolutely. I believe that to be so. We we need to get rid of gun-free zones. Uh, it is not serving us well to have gun-free zones. Uh, there's the only thing, and, and remember, and you, you talked about, not, you can't have a police officer with you everywhere you go, and that's the fact. Chris uh, Chris Bird wrote a book, and the subtitle of the book is "When Seconds Count, Police Are Only Minutes Away," mm-hmm. and, and that's uh, what we need to remember. Police call themselves first responders, but that's not exactly true. Uh, we need to realize we're the first responders, and. I'm not trying to disrespect police officers because for the most part, they're running into battle as fast as they can, risking their lives with their cars running through traffic, trying to get to a situation and risk their lives for people that they don't even know for the most part. And so I'm not trying to disrespect police department, but as you said yourself, you can't have an officer everywhere you go. Yeah, and the interesting thing when, you know, you go back and you do the real analysis of what happened in Sutherland Springs, and I find that so perplexing because that's not what the politicians want to do. The person that went into your church, into your community, and brought that evil should have never been able to acquire any type of firearm because when you look at the 4473 background check form, it specifically asks about a dishonorable discharge from the United States military. And this assailant there in Sutherland Springs had been convicted of a domestic violence uh, crime in the Air Force, served time, felony offense, and he had that dishonorable discharge. So he basically lied on the 4473 form. 
So in other words, it was a failure of the system because the Air Force never input him into the system. So why is it, do you think, that the politicians and everyone, to include the progressive socialist left, they never look at the specifics. They never look at the individual that is involved in the shooting. They immediately want to go to the weapon. Well, let's let's look at it all together uh, with this individual. First off, he dismembered his infant son's puppy in front of him alive to get his infant son to quit crying. That was a felony cruelty to an animal. And then when he uh, didn't quit crying, then he beat his infant son until he fractured his skull. That was another felony, and that was also uh, family violence, which is both of them were asked on that form. And they put him in jail, and when he got out of jail, they were going to get him out of the Air Force. So they brought him before a board. And he threatened to kill everybody on the board, which is terroristic threats. So they put him into a mental hospital where he then escaped from the mental hospital, which the forms ask about mental illness. Mm -hmm. And, And then finally they got him in and gave him a less than honorable discharge. And the military did not enter any of it into the next system. I'm going to tell you um, that if background checks worked, the government, the Air Force, was totally inept in everything they did, and they didn't enter any of it into the next system. So they want to implement another background check. I'm sorry. That's okay. So, so they want to implement another background check. For what reason when they can't even do the background check that is existing? Yeah, that's my, that's my point. And so when I look at, again, here, uh, the issue in Uvalde, and I brought it up in my opening uh, monologue, the individual, the shooter there, lived in a residence with a grandfather who had a criminal record. That grandfather's criminal record, it meant that he could not possess any firearms, nor could he be near any firearms, but yet that's the address that that shooter used on his 4473 background check. And again, no, I hate to use the term, no red flags, no indicators and warnings, but yet we keep hearing that we need new laws. I think it's just a matter of enforcing the laws and, 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 and checking the system that already exists. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, I'm Kent Charnig, and I'm the founder of El Paso County, Colorado Progressive Veterans. Don't worry, we're not crazy tree huggers, but we do have an amazing podcast talking about nothing but the military and veterans. Please check us out, epccpv.org. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Understand this young man had a pistol also, uh, is what I've been been told. He also had a pistol. And that particular pistol was illegal for him to own anyway. Mm -hmm. So he's already breaking the laws to own a pistol because right now we have a law against anyone 18 years 
uh, or anyone twenty one uh, under twenty one owning a pistol mm-hmm. or buying a pistol. So he had a pistol. So he's already breaking laws anyway. Now, personally, I truly believe that any eighteen year old should be able to buy a gun of any kind of gun uh, because this isn't. Make no mistake, this is not a maturity issue. The shooter in Sutherland Springs was 26 years old. This is a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the maturity. And you yourself, as being an Army colonel, know that young men and women at the age of 17 can sign up to go into the military and can be trained and can be very responsible and can be given an M16 and travel around the world defending our freedom here and and ride in an M1 Abram tank, for goodness sakes. This has nothing to do with maturity. It has to do with mental illness. No, you're absolutely right. Now, let's talk about the weapon that you used to neutralize this assailant, the shooter in Sutherland Springs. It's the weapon that everyone is saying we have to take it away from people. And again, it comes back to what you just said. This is about legal, law-abiding, responsible gun owners. You know, why would they want to deny you the ability to be able to decide what weapon you want to use uh, instead of looking at the assailant, the shooter themselves? So when I went across the street, I grabbed an AR-15, a semi-automatic, modern sporting rifle uh, and the left likes to say oh you can't hunt with one of them first off i do hunt with mine and second the second amendment has nothing to do with hunting and if i hear biden talk about a deer wearing armor again it, i just can't handle that uh this rifle i built for competition and sporting use and i built it myself and they want to ban any guns that you can manufacture that you can put together by yourself Um, how ridiculous is that they want to demonize a gun and yet the fbi statistics itself if you go and look at the fbi and murders that more people are killed by hammers and blunt instruments than rifles in general, and that includes 22 bolt-action rifles all the way up to whatever other rifle. But more people are killed by hammers than rifles every year. So they're, they're trying to ban something that's a tool, and that's what an AR-15 is a tool. It has nothing to do with an inanimate object. I used my AR-15 to save lives in Sutherland Springs. Mm-hmm. And and he, it, his AR-15 was in evil hands. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And it's just that simple. But for whatever reason, that's what people want to focus on instead of focusing on the real issues and the real problems. So let's move to where we are today and now. Uh, last week, we saw in the United States House of Representatives, they passed, you know, these uh, restrictive gun control measures. Uh, now in the United States Senate, they have agreed to a quote unquote framework uh, that they're going to put in legislative language. How do you feel about what is being done up there uh, on Capitol Hill? And then we'll talk about, you know, what's being done here in the state of Texas. 
10 senators have signed on, 10 senators, and what an embarrassment that one of the senators is John Cornyn from my state of Texas. 10 senators have signed on to this framework. And I would love to ask John Cornyn which one of these gun control acts that he has signed on to would have stopped the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And I'm going to say nothing. None of them address what happened. You know, would you agree with me, and this is something that I hold very dear, if you're a juvenile and you display this violent behavior like we have seen in so many of these cases, that that should be entered into the system. And so that, you know, when you become 18, you know, and you try to go and purchase a weapon in in the state of Texas or anywhere in the United States of America, it's already there. I mean, we don't decide that, well, this was when they were juvenile, that cannot be put into the system, and so they have a clean slate at 18, because I think that we're creating a loophole. That's one of the things that we should be looking at, but that's not part of this framework. This young monster, and I'm not going to call him a young man, this young monster Mm -hmm. uh, had made threats over the Internet. You don't make threats. You don't get to do that. You know, that's illegal to make threats like that. The FBI already knew about him, and yet they did nothing about it. In so many other cases, Parkland included in Mm -hmm. some of the other cases, uh, the Buffalo shooter, they all made threats ahead of time. Those are terroristic threats, and they should be taken seriously. You, You say, oh, well, what we say on social media doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Well, it's amazing, you know, you bring that up because if you and I were going on social media and say that we believe there are unconstitutional actions uh, that led to uh, voting irregularities in the November 2020 election cycle, we'll get kicked off of social media. But yet people can post violent uh, threats and things of this nature. The Buffalo shooter even had said he wanted to go and shoot up his own high school. And his high school was 90% white, so that's why I don't think this was so much a racial thing. I mean, this kid was just crazy. So does the social media platforms also have a sense of culpability with this that seems no one is uh, talking about? Well, you know, at one point I sit in on the governor's roundtable in Texas, and he talked to the the people that ran uh, Facebook and said, don't you think that we could do something to report these threats? And face, the, the people that ran Facebook said, yes, that, that could be done. But yet they don't do it. Instead, so like my Facebook, they kicked me off for just posting what the lawyers of Kyle Rittenhouse had said. Just the lawyer's statement, my total site got shut down and for posting something that the lawyer said. It was just reposting something, and it wasn't even me stating anything about it. And that's funny because we saw with the, uh, the subway shooter who used smoke bomb and grenades and things of this nature, he had a history of posting very violent things. We saw with the individual that drove the car through the crowd at the Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, he had been posting violent things. So again, it is very perplexing to me that no one is held accountable and something else is pretty troubling. We continue to give these social media, Meta, Facebook, whatever, that Google, whatever they want to call it, we give them all these tax breaks to be here 
here in the state of Texas, but you're the, they're not taking any responsibility. Let's let's talk about your role right now with the Gun Owners of America uh, because they brought you on. You're a great spokesperson. Uh, what do you think you can do and achieve as a spokesperson for Gun Owners of America? Well, I am I'm going out there nationwide, making people aware of it. I'm doing probably. Uh, five to six when i'm home and not traveling i'm doing five to six radio shows a day and two to three television or podcasts per week getting the word out there and trying to educate people and i'm not only on uh conservative channels but i'm also uh been with some um liberal radio hosts that tried to attack me mm-hmm. one said all of us gun owners that that uh, own AR-15s, we're more concerned about our guns than we are children's lives in a school. And I said, how dare you? And I used my AR-15 and risked my life to save children. And how dare you say that I care more about my gun than I do the children? Uh, Do I care more about my gun than I do about my life? Because that's what I did as I risked my life for children. Or not just children, but anyone in the church. Well, it's very interesting that that leftist commentator will attack you, a person who came out of their home armed, and the story is very hilarious. I mean, you did not even take time to put on shoes, and you went and neutralized a, a shooter whose the, the fault and the responsibility is with the government for failing, but yet all of a sudden it's about you. And so that's why when I look at these shootings and what ends up coming about, the left, and let's be honest, some Republicans, the left, they don't care about resolving the issue. They're always looking how never let a good crisis go to waste. So what things can you do and what can gun owners of America do to make sure that uh, we are standing up and protecting that Second Amendment right? And I'll also say that you're a trained firearms instructor as well. So you're not just Jim Bob, Joe Bob running around out there. You're someone that understands how to direct fire against, uh, accurate fire against an assailant. So actually, I, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I travel, uh, I have spoken to uh, congressmen and women in Washington, D.C., Again, like I say, I'm, I'm educating, I'm speaking at different events and being brought all around. I'm going to the Texas Republican Convention this, this, this week, this coming week, and uh, where I'm going to hold our politicians' feet to the fire and let them know that, uh, and, and frankly, the state of Texas has signed a Second Amendment sanctuary state. We are going to find out how much they really believe in that because it's supposed to ignore any federal laws that are unconstitutional coming down. And we're going to see exactly what their resolve is in the state of Texas. And we have the right to deny those laws. Well, I'm very concerned about the, you know, the bribery of the grant money coming to a state if they implement red flag laws at the state level, uh, because red flag laws are a clear violation of a Second Amendment and Fourth Amendment rights of the individual. Okay, I got a couple of minutes left. What is the message that you want to impart to gun owners and those who are not gun owners and also to our politicians? 
first off, if you're not a gun owner and you don't understand, educate yourself. If you are a gun owner, I would like to ask for help because the GOA is the only no compromise uh, gun advocacy group in this country. And please go out and become a member and that will help us fight the fight. If you're a gun owner and you're not a member, then maybe you ought to. And if you're saying, well, I'm a, a NRA member or I'm a Second Amendment Foundation member, so am I. I'm a life member of the NRA. I'm a life member of the Second Amendment Foundation, and I'm a life member of TSRA. Mm-hmm. And I believe in the shotgun effect on that, too. Just sign up to all of us. But when I chose to work for an organization, it was the GOA, because we're really fighting and making the difference all together. If you're a gun owner, I, I, if you think that you would be a sheepdog as such and that you would run to the battle, you're not going to run to the battle unless you train yourself. I'm not saying that all gun owners should be trained by no means. But if you think you're that kind of person, it's time to get into a little bit of competition, a little bit of training and stuff, because your mind can never go or your body can never go where your mind has never been. And uh, I would encourage a little extra training if you think you would do something like this. Um, Again, I don't think that you must have training to uh, exercise your Second Amendment right, but it would be prudent to think about. Well, Stephen, where can people follow you and uh, support you and all that you're doing? Uh, Website and social media. So go to gunowners.org, gunowners.org, and... uh, you can go to the barefootdefender.com. Uh, that's my website. Uh, it's been a while since I've been on YouTube, but I also have Barefoot Defender on YouTube and have several videos on that and planning on stepping up a little bit more on my videos and getting that back out also. So you can find out more about me at the barefootdefender.com. And, uh, I see you out there. I'm traveling the whole, the whole nation now. Absolutely, and it was great to see you out in Colorado. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Williford, an American and Texas hero, and Stephen embodies this quote that God does not call the equipped. He equips those that he calls. And Stephen answered the call. He moved to the sound of the guns, and he saved lives. So God bless you, and thank you for being on the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast, Stephen. God bless you, too. Thank you. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. And now I am joined by the executive director of the Texas Gun Rights Organization. That's Chris McNutt. And the Texas Gun Rights Organization is part of the National Association for Gun Rights. Chris, it's a pleasure. And thank you so much for being on the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, can kind of give our listeners and and, uh, viewers an understanding of, first and foremost, the National Association of Gun Rights and then its relationship to the Texas gun rights. Sure. So I would say the National Association for Gun Rights is the largest gun rights organization in the country. Um, Of course, everybody will say, you know, what about the NRA? Well, I say that we are no compromise. And so we are therefore 
gun, the large rights organization. Um, we've got over four and a half million supporters and, and, and members across the country. And um, of that, we've got over 350,000 members and supporters to the state affiliate, uh, which is Texas Gun Rights, which is the, the Lone Star State's largest uh, gun rights organization. And I'm proud to be a member of the National Association of Gun Rights and Texas Gun Rights. And I was uh, honored to work with the organization uh, during my time as chairman to make sure that we got constitutional carry passed here in Texas, which was a long time coming. So, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, and, you know, thanks you. Thank you to your support for that. Um, and of course, as your time as the party chairman, you were a tremendous asset in the fight for constitutional carry in Texas. Well, you're too kind. Let's talk and let's get into this and talk about where we are, because we just saw last week the United States House of Representatives passed what we figured they would. Very restrictive gun control legislation joined by some Republicans, scratch your head. And it <laughs> is uh, now over at the Senate and the Senate has agreed on a quote unquote framework. Uh, Ten Republicans joined in with that. And the lead on that is the Texas Senator uh, John Cornyn. So what is the position, what is the concerns of Texas Gun Rights and National Association of Gun Rights with this legislation that has been passed in the House and this framework that's been uh, put together in the Senate? Yeah, so, you know, obviously we're 100% opposed to any gun control, no matter what form it is, because there's absolutely no reason that law-abiding citizens should be uh, punished for the, the actions of a deranged killer. Um, so, you know, we opposed everything that was passed by the House. And, you know, the same kind of goes for the framework that was outlined. Even though we don't have the language just yet, um, they have laid out framework for um, an, uh, an, expansion, an expansion of NICs uh, for 18 to 20 year olds. Uh, but even worse than that is the, the framework for red flag gun confiscation laws. And, you know, of course, they're doing everything they can to try to, to steer away from using the, the red flag uh, gun confiscation term. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they're, they're referring to it as incentivizing states um, to, uh, you know, to pass intervention orders to ultimately take guns away from uh, people without due process. But we know that is, uh, you know, a dog whistle for red, red flag gun confiscation, um, no matter how much they want to, to say it isn't. And um, there's absolutely no instance of a red flag law being in implemented in any state across the country that has federal due process. It's a simply not possible. Now, you bring up a great point, and you and I have discussed this previously back in November 2018. 61-year-old Gary J. Willis in Ferndale, Maryland, was the victim of red flag laws. Uh, the police come to his house at 517 in the morning. Now, why are you going to go to anyone's house at 517 in the morning for a quote-unquote red flag uh, warrant to be served? And you're correct. You don't know where this, this warrant comes from. You have your firearms uh, taken away from you, confiscated, and then you have to go and try to prove that you're not guilty of something that you've been accused of by someone you don't even know who the, who they are. But the sad thing what happened to Gary J. Willis there in Ferndale, Maryland, was that he came to his uh, door armed because anybody, 517 in the morning, if I'm not expecting you to be banging on my door, something's not right. And he was shot and killed by the police officers. And to this day, we don't know who the officers were. We don't know where this red flag uh, came from. So I'm very concerned about this sense of bribery to the state governments to say, here's grant money 
that we'll give you if you enact these things, which at its core is unconstitutional. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's just like dangling a carrot from a stick in front of these legislators that have uh, had their budgets hit hard, frankly, over the last few years. Uh, um, <laughs> thanks large in part to their overreaction uh, to the, the COVID pandemic and, and going way beyond their, their, uh, their bounds, their means uh, with the, of using power. Um, but, yeah, they're hanging that money there uh, in front of the state legislatures, trying to incentivize them. Um, to pass red flag laws. And, you know, and, and you kind of touched on it already, but one of the, the really bad things about red flag laws is that, you know, you could be, the, the order could be submitted ex, uh, submitted ex parte, which basically means that the person who's subject to one of these orders, um, you know, doesn't need to give any, doesn't need to be given any type of notice or even know that you know they're being discussed and that their guns are about to get taken away from them for it. So it's a it's a real dangerous um, uh, policy that that should not even be entertained. Yeah, it's interesting because you know it's just like going to the the Patriot Act and everyone after nine eleven this Patriot Act sounded great, but when it's in the hands of the wrong people, as we saw, you can then uh, enact surveillance upon people that are your political adversaries and opponents. And when I look at this whole issue about red flags, we've seen red flags. In Parkland, there were countless call-outs to the home of Nicholas Cruz. There were countless uh, call-outs to this, you know, shooter down in Uvalde. There, there were plenty of indicators and warnings, but yet nothing was done about it. You know, I'm of the mindset, and I'd like to see if you agree, if you are juvenile and you're displaying violent uh, mentally disturbed behavior, I think that you should go into a system so that even when you turn 18, it's not like you have a brand new slate. That still carries over because we have some very disturbing things that are happening out there, and we don't need to punish all 18-year-olds to include 18-year-olds that are going out and joining the military. We need to focus on the real issue. Right. I, so I, I, I would definitely say that you know, if somebody is not to be trusted with a gun because somebody believes that they are a threat, they're going to use to commit a crime. Um, I would say the gun is the least of the problems. I mean, that that person generally probably should not be in society. And mm -hmm. if people are actually making legitimate threats of violence or, or, or of terroristic acts, I mean, there are already systems in place that would allow you to, you know, confront those people and, you know, potentially put them in jail without the use of red flag laws. Um, so I, I would say that, that we need to lean more on the tools that are already available in that regard, because taking one tool away um, isn't going to solve the problem. So why do you believe these politicians always go and say we need new laws when they're not even taking care of the laws that are on the books, when we are allowing people to go out there and lie? on 4473 background checks, but yet we're being told we need to have increased background checks when the, the NICS system is severely broken. I did not really see that in this framework that the Senate was talking about. I did not see fixing the NICS system in the legislation that was passed in the United States House. Yeah, and you know, as Rahm Emanuel once said, mm -hmm. who the, uh, you know, never let a serious crisis go to waste, and that has been the modus operandi for the left-wing Democrat Party uh, for you know the last ten years. Um, so uh, 
and, and then of course on on the Republican side, um, they're just afraid of their own shadows. They feel like they have to be doing something to frankly appease uh, Democrat voters who are never going to support them. And not only that, we are heading into a you know a red wave year and and the the midterm elections. So there's really no reason that Republicans should be afraid of doing the right thing, standing on principle, protecting the Second Amendment. And um, there's just no threat to their seat for them doing that and upholding their oath you to bring their up, office. You bring up a great political question. Do you think that if Republicans cave compromise on this gun control issue, it will affect their relationship with the, the base going into the midterms? Well, so now that is a very good question. I, I firmly believe that if Republicans um, cower to the anti-gun left and the, the, the media, Bloomberg's, uh, you know, his his talking wing, I, I think that they are going to uh, face retribution from Republican voters because if if voters cannot decipher any difference between a Republican and a Democrat, especially on core principles like um, the protection of the Second Amendment, they're going to stay home. And that's the last thing that uh, we should be doing right now when it should be a, a completely red wave year for Republicans. And that brings us to the question about what's happening here in the state of Texas, where you know that the governor has set aside a, a commission to look at, I guess, gun violence, gun control, whatever. And one of the people that the Speaker of the House has put on this committee is uh, Representative Joe Moody, a Democrat out of El Paso, who, of course, was one of the Democrats that picked up and got on private jets and flew away to try to block election integrity. And he is also the person that said Republicans were the ones to blame for the shooting out there in El Paso. You know, why do we continue to see this happen here in the state of Texas? Uh, we've already been down this path where they, you know, the governor brought together a commission and didn't bring you in, didn't bring any representatives that speak up for the Second Amendment advocacy to be part of this commission. So I'd, I'd like to get your perspectives and thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't really think there is any way of explaining it other than they're they're either afraid of their own shadows or frankly, they're just Democrats at heart. They're Republican in name only. Um, <laughs> and as far as as leaving me out of the discussions, I mean, honestly, I prefer to be on the outside applying pressure from their constituents than having a seat at the a seat at the establishment table when they try to spin me. And you know, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, Governor Abbott didn't uh, you know didn't want any part of his, uh, you know, signing of the, the constitutional carry bill, which is exactly why they probably kicked me out of the Alamo uh, when I was the only person that wasn't allowed to to be there um, in spite of being the leading force behind constitutional carry uh, and Texas gun rights, that is not myself mm -hmm. personally. Um, so it's just it's just more of the same from a, a bunch of corrupt Republicans in name only. Why do you think it took so long to get constitutional carry passed here in the state of Texas? It has been a legislative priority for the Republican Party of Texas for, if I'm correct, eight to 10 years. Yeah, no, that is absolutely correct. And, and more than anything, I think it has just been, um, you know, that the establishment gun lobby has been uh, eager to turn a blind eye and, you know, puff up these legislators with A ratings um, for, you know, doing absolutely nothing to prove that they earned these A ratings. And, you know, so 
that took us uh, many years to kind of break down those barriers and apply the pressure needed to to force a vote on constitutional carry. And just as we always expected, once it finally got to the floor, it passed with flying colors. Uh, not only that, we actually had seven Democrats uh, cross party lines and, and, and vote in favor of the, the Second Amendment. So um, uh, that that just kind of underlines why why it is so important to have grassroots uh, pressure every single person that's listening to this show. Uh, that's why it is so important to call your lawmakers, email your lawmakers and tell them to do the right thing and stand up for the Second Amendment, because that is how we win. You know, you brought up a great point, And it was something that, you know, I served on the NRA board. I resigned last August. And I think a lot of people know why I resigned. This this blanket granting of a plus rating, you know, just saying, well, they support the Second Amendment. What is the difference with Texas gun rights and the National Association of Gun Rights? What specifically are you all looking at instead of this, you know, overarching, you know, they're okay with us approach? So we typically, first of all, we don't like to give out ratings because we know that, uh, you know, if you give somebody an A-plus rating um, or, you know, hand out endorsements like candy, you know, at some point those People are going to flip. That's the nature of, of politics. And, you know, they can use that rating or that endorsement forever. And so we, you know, before we hand out any endorsements, you know, we want to see that not only will these people vote the right way, because, you know, obviously that's the bare minimum. Um, but also, you know, voting the right way doesn't make you a hero. That means that you did your job. So, you know, to get praise for uh, get an endorsement from, uh, you know, Texas gun rights. You know, we really want to see people actually lead the charge for restoring uh, Second Amendment rights and lead the charge for fighting these, you know, instances of gun control like we see that, uh, you know, the governor might be flirting with right now. You know, what do you think is, you know, the big focus for Texas gun rights, National Association for Gun Rights right now in this midterm election cycle? This is a critical election cycle. Uh, so the, the focus objectives for this election cycle, but also what are you looking to do in this fight to make, make sure we maintain our Second Amendment rights? Because that's kind of like the, uh, the, the near close target right now. Yeah. So right now, I mean, we're pretty much all on hands, uh, all hands on deck, um, you know, at our Colorado headquarters for NAGR, as well as, you know, here in Texas for TXGR. Um, so, you know, we're we're uh, mobilizing all of our members to, you know, contact their their lawmakers. We're, uh, you know, getting we're we're doing everything from mail to text messaging to uh, social media ads. I think we're going to play with some some digital ads here in the next uh, few days. Um, and, and right now, really, the main focus is to, to pressure that, uh, you know, that Senate, um, those 10 Senate Republicans who are, uh, you know, that have announced the deal for the framework of the compromise and just, you know, really go all out to make sure that they know that uh, law abiding gun owners will accept no excuse for any type of gun control. And then, of course, we're going to carry that uh, message on through the, the midterms. Any anybody that any politician, any candidate who refuses to be a stalwart for the Second Amendment rights, the rights to keep and bear arms, you know, they will be held accountable for their actions. You know, one of the criticisms that I have heard other people say, and, and I somewhat share these criticisms, is that so often on the conservative side 
uh, we operate in stovepipes. We operate in silos. We don't coordinate mm -hmm. and synchronize our efforts very well. How are we doing, you know, on the Second Amendment side between yourselves, Gun Owners of America, National Shooting Sports Foundation, Second Amendment Foundation? How are we coordinating those efforts so that we are attacking with a unified front? Right. So, I, you know, I can't really speak uh, for the national organization on that front, but I know here in Texas, you know, we've worked closely with Lone Star Gun Rights, uh, Open Carry Texas, and, and even a little bit with uh, Gun Owners of America. Um, we have reached out to the NRA and the TSRA in the past, and we've gotten mostly crickets back for them. But, you know, my, my phone is always open to take calls from anybody. Um, I'm willing to work with anybody as long as our interests are aligned and, and supporting gun rights and making sure that we defeat any forms of gun control. How can people help and support you here with Texas Gun Rights? So the, the best way is to visit TXGR.org and sign up to become a member for only $30 a year. Uh, and of course, you can get on our email list. So that way, whenever we put out calls to action for people to call their, their legislators or their lawmakers in D.C., um, that they can do so. Um, and of course, you know, sending uh, in their petitions. Um, unlike most organizations, every single petition that is signed by uh, someone um, actually gets delivered to the Capitol office of the, of the, their politicians. Um, so, you know, we're not just trying to list, build and raise money like everybody else. We actually mean it when we say that we are going to deliver those petitions. So that way your lawmakers know that that's exactly what you expect. Well, the largest political convention in the United States of America is going to be taking place this week down in Houston, Texas. The Texas uh, Republican Party uh, Convention. Uh, will Texas gun rights be down there? Will you have a booth? Can people drop by and see you? We unfortunately will not have a booth, but we will have a present. Well, we will have a presence. Um, you know, of course, with it being the largest. A political convention, as you mentioned, um, it is also very important that uh, these delegates know that uh, Senator Cornyn, our senior senator, is leading the charge for compromise. And so we've got to make sure that the delegates, uh, you know, get activated to tell the, the, the senator that we will accept no gun control deals. Parting words that you'd like to uh, share with our uh, viewers as far as understanding your role and mission with Texas Gun Rights and the concept of individual gun rights overall. Yeah, I would I would just say, you know, more than anything at Texas Gun Rights, uh, we we count on our members and our supporters to be the firepower behind our organization. We're not, you know, Gucci loafer wearing lobbyists with expensive suits that try to rub shoulders and make gun control deals and and back room. So we really rely on every everyday ordinary citizens uh, to apply the pressure to politicians um, to do the right thing. And so that, you know, that's why I humbly appreciate the support of anybody who can sign up uh, for Texas gun rights to, to be a member um, because at the end of the day, I'm just a voice. I'm no different than anybody else. I'm just a voice. I'm a messenger and, you know, I will do all in my power to continue fighting for the second amendment here in Texas. Well, I appreciate you, Chris McNutt, the executive director of Texas Gun Rights. I am a member and a proud member, and I stand shoulder to shoulder with you at any time. Uh, one last time, your website? It's uh, txgr.org. 
or you can go to texasgunrights.org. Well, thank you so very much, Chris, for being on the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. And uh, let's go out there and protect our Second Amendment rights. All right. Thank you, Colonel. Thanks so much, Chris. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a, a great honor to have my next guest here on the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. You know, he's someone that I grew up listening to on the radio, and then I had the distinct honor and pleasure of serving with him on the National Rifle Association board. Some people know him as the Motor City Madman. There's nothing mad about Ted Nugent. He is one of the most intellectual and articulate uh, speakers on individual rights, freedoms, liberties, and our Constitution. So I'd like to welcome Ted Nugent to the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. How you doing, sir? Where are you located now? Are you in Texas or Michigan? Well, Colonel West, it's my honor to remain steadfast and loyal as you have been to this American dream and I to you, sir. I'm in a sacred barn in a sacred swamp in the wilds of Michigan with my dogs, <laughs> Happy Sadie and Coco. We've been out setting traps today and put, uh, putting in food plots. Had a beautiful big lightning and thunderstorm last night. Nice. So, I, And I played my guitar. I got out some of my old guitars here in the barn and with a concrete floor and all these beautiful dead animals on the wall and guns and ammo and bows and arrows, I'm I'm telling you, if I was any happier, I'd squirt through this apparatus into your studio with you. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Hey, you know, let's talk about what's going on right now. The, the whole theme of this uh, podcast this week is about this gun control issue and how we saw this legislation that got passed through the House of Representatives, and then we saw this quote-unquote framework that's being put together in the United States Senate. You've been a champion for the Second Amendment and for individual rights, freedoms, and liberties for so long. Have you ever seen it be this bad as it, it appears to be right now? Um, Alan, I could cry tears of blood for you. My heart is so shattered at the runaway criminality and corruption, the, the abject dishonesty by our government. It, it so hurts to have to say those words but unfortunately, the evidence is irrefutable. And no, in the world of individual freedoms, especially those outlined in those sacred documents, the Constitution, particularly the First and Second Amendment, which is the foundation for life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, I have never seen such treachery. I have never seen such soullessness to literally walk on the corpses of innocent victims and turn it into a political theater. And let me make it perfectly clear. I think the most powerful words we can share tonight, because I have been on the front lines of the Second Amendment fight since the 1960s, because the hippies and the music industry, the entertainment industry would attack me because I would celebrate a great weekend with my, my dad and my brothers, aim small, miss small, marksmanship, mm -hmm discipline, that, that great outdoor shooting sports heritage of America. And some of these interviewers would get all angry at me because I'm promoting gun ownership. And I would very calmly express to them, which by the way, the vast majority of the radio listeners in those different interviews would support, that self-defense is perfect. And carrying a gun to protect your sacred gift of life from God is not only perfect, but it's intellectually, and I believe constitutionally, surely, but spiritually an obligation. We have a duty to save this life that God gave us and to neutralize evil that would threaten this life. 
So I've been on those front lines, so I've had to deal with the uh, Clinton gun bans and uh, the attempt for Saturday night special bans, which included all handguns, the actual language of these bills, and watching my friends in Canada bend over to this Fidel Jr. tyrant up there where he lists lever action 3030s as assault weapons. So go to today here in America, there is no new gun law that will save any lives. If you ban them today, if you ban a certain caliber, if you ban capacity magazines today, there are hundreds of millions of them out there. And just to clarify with more evidence, do you think Kalashnikov machine guns are available to citizens in France? No, the answer is, but they use Kalashnikov machine guns in Paris, France, breaking hundreds and hundreds of gun laws to hose down innocent concert goers with real AK-47s. Mm -hmm. My point is, is that when you engineer recidivism and you ignore danger signs and warning signs and threats, repeated threats over and over, and then you create soft targets, then you defund the police, then you make it almost impossible for citizens to defend themselves, that's the perfect storm for evil to do what they damn well please to innocent citizens. So these are treacherous times. And Alan, everybody listening, if they're if they if they believe their their gift of life is worth protecting, be sure you're an NRA member, a Gun Owners of America member, United States Concealed Carry Association, your state Second Amendment organization. Strength in numbers will push back on these counterproductive increased gun laws that will actually cause the loss of more innocent life, Alan. No, you're, you're absolutely right, and I find it somewhat disconcerting and disingenuous when, you know, you look at the framework that they propose, but it has nothing to do, would not have stopped what happened in Uvalde. And you and I have been through the 4473 background check so many times, but yet here in Uvalde, the shooter was living in the home of a grandfather who had a criminal record that could not purchase firearms, could not have firearms anywhere around him. That was the address that was put down on his form, but yet no bells and whistles went off. The fact that five or six visits to his home by law enforcement, no bells and whistles go off. But now all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that legal law-abiding gun owners, responsible gun owners, are the problem. Well, I've heard so many uh, examples that just crushes these gun grabber, anti-freedom, anti-Second Amendment goons. And that one of the one of the most glaringly obvious is, do you stop drunk driving by taking the driver's license away from sober drivers? I mean, you've you've just got to be be kidding me. Everybody knows that Hunter Biden committed a felony mm -hmm. on his register on his application form forty four seventy three. And the Secret Service covers up for him. The ATF doesn't move on it. So we have we have a runaway recidivism orgy going on in this country that is the core of 96%. And those aren't my numbers. Those are the recent FBI uniform crime report because I think there's still a few good FBI agents out there. And every one of these proposals, who can't tell that Uncle Sam, under the control of Joe Biden and his gang of oath-violating traitors, 
who can't tell that their clear goal is to control American citizens and the only way to do that, just like all the tyrants and emperors and gangsters in the past, disarm the people and they will have to comply with immoral laws, illegal laws and anti-constitutional laws. We are at a crossroad here right now. And if people don't stand up, and again, I'm going to say it, you can't just agree with truth, logic, and common sense. You've got to be a member of the NRA, Gun Owners of America, United States Concealed Carry Association. They have people on the front lines every day, like you and me, mm-hmm. that are fighting to identify the counterproductivity of increased gun laws. When, by the way, Alan, According to my law enforcement friends in Baltimore and Chicago and Detroit and New Orleans and Los Angeles and San Francisco, thousands and thousands of smoking gun criminals, they were caught with the illegal gun, Mm -hmm. using it illegally, carrying it illegally. Most of them were felons that weren't even allowed to touch a gun or get downwind of a gun. And they they dropped the gun charges, Alan. They're not enforcing the laws we already have. No, you're absolutely right. And the other thing, when you look at a place like New York City, Los Angeles, and we just saw the district attorney in San Francisco get recalled, we got a problem with these people that are supposed to be upholding the law and protecting the citizens and being ideological, and they're releasing these violent criminals back onto the streets. And the cities that you just named are the cities with some of the most stringent gun control laws out there. But again, the the criminal element, the gang element, are the ones that are finding the means by which they can illegally possess guns. But yet, as you just, what a great parallel. You know, you don't go and take the license away from the sober drivers because of what is happening with the, the drunk driver. You know, we did not go after the automobile manufacturer of the person that drove the SUV through the Christmas Day parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Uh, But yet we see everybody now wants to go after the gun owner. So now they want to go after Daniel Defense because somehow this person who should have never had the ability to acquire a firearm in Uvalde gets to get a firearm. And so, again, this is no different from the British when they were marching inland on April the 19th of 1775 to destroy a weapons and armament factory that was supplying the Sons of Liberty. Well, Alan, I hope people listening right now, they, they memorize these uh, bullet points. Uh, there's a play on words that's accurate as can be. But we have to communicate with our mayors, our senators, our congressmen, our governors, our chief of police, our state trooper commander, our sheriff. We, the people, have to let the people in positions of authority who we hired to represent us based on that oath to the Constitution. And when you infringe on law-abiding Americans to keep and bear arms, the person infringing is the criminal. Let me make a real important point that I've never heard anybody make. I've studied the rate of fire, the calibers, the weapons used, um, the individual all the way back to Virginia Tech, Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, El Paso, now Uvalde. I even got some inside information uh, from Bernie Carrick on on Buffalo. Do you know, Alan, everybody better memorize this. The AR platform played no role whatsoever in the body count. And let me explain, because the hyper lying by the media, 
the rate of fire in each instance, much like Luby's Cafeteria in mm -hmm. Colleen, Texas, the rate of fire had nothing to do with semi-automatic. I have studied the rate of fire in all these mass shootings. A person with no training, with a single shot, break open 20 gauge with a load of buckshot, the time nobody's resistance, they can open, load, close, kill, open, load, close, kill. This whole hysteria about the AR and semi-automatics, it's smoke and mirrors. The people who are focusing on that clearly don't want to save any innocent lives because it has nothing to do with rate of fire. It has nothing to do with caliber of ballistics or velocity. It has everything to do with gun-free zones where our society has created the sitting duck dream for evil people. So let me let me crescendo here. I've been on a crescendo since about <laughs> 1948. But here's the point we need to make. All those victims had one thing in common. Even some of the brave people and some of the brave law enforcement who tried to neutralize the threat, they weren't adequately trained or they would have gone for headshots. My point being, I think somebody's calling my barn. My point being is that don't be unarmed and helpless. You should carry a gun. You should keep and bear arms because if you're unarmed and helpless, I can promise you, you are unarmed and helpless and evil people are looking for you and our failed court system guarantees that there's evil, dangerous, violent criminals everywhere. Yeah. And if you're unarmed and helpless, they will find you and you will be a sitting duck. Here's an Uncle Ted tech tip. Don't be a sitting duck. Is your life not worth the little effort, the minor effort of learning how to handle a small revolver and keeping it in your pocket? Is that asking too much to celebrate another birthday or an anniversary or a Thanksgiving with your family? America, arm up. You know, you bring up a great point, and I, I get this visual of what happened to Uvalde. And it brings me back to the Second Amendment, a, a well-regulated militia, regulated meaning trained, that the militia is us, and the right of the people to keep and bear arms that shall not be in French. When I looked at those parents there in Uvalde, begging government, the law enforcement officers oh. who were armed, to go in there and do something for their children, to me, that's the whole purpose of the Second Amendment. That's the whole purpose of us, the well-regulated, trained militia. Because if those parents show up and they are trained and they are responsible, legal law-abiding gun owners, and they say, step aside, we're going in there to protect our children. When I saw that video of the mother who was handcuffed, and then when she was uncuffed, she ran into that school yes. to get her two children. That to me is the reason why we have the Second Amendment because we are the first line of defense, as you said, for ourselves. I've always been my first responder. I enjoy firearms. I'm a hunter and a fisherman and trapper, even though the Second Amendment has absolutely nothing to do with recreation, <laughs> nothing to do with sport. The Second Amendment is about self-defense of a society against a tyrannical government that abuses its power and everyday self-offense. But let me let me clarify, you know, 
I don't need to know the families that are crying that have lost a loved one to have empathy. Shemaine and I and everybody I know, we were together down there in Uvalde. Mm -hmm. We know those people. We know that good mayor. We know those law enforcement heroes and those border patrol heroes down there. We spent the day with them. Mm-hmm. We, we were on the front lines. We were on the border with these guys. So we have kind of a, an educated flesh in the game. But stop and think, you know, you're a parent. I, you know, I'm a guitar player, but first and foremost, I'm a husband, a father, a grandfather. I'm a neighbor. I'm an American. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I have a band. I, I, I run a hunting operation. I write New York Times bestsellers to try to figure that one out. The point being is that who could possibly think what man could approach you or me or any free human and tell us if we can defend ourselves or maybe where we can or cannot defend ourselves mm-hmm. or how we can or cannot defend ourselves. I'm telling you, all the treachery we witness right now has manifested itself in the maniacal attempt to disarm Americans because we're taxed and that we give billions of dollars of state-of-the-art military weaponry to the Taliban. Did you vote for that? I didn't vote for that. I worked very hard to pay for my taxes, and I didn't pay taxes to enrich and arm our enemies. And we could go on and on with the abuse of power out there. But there is a time and a system by which we can take this country back. And I'm going to drop a website, HunterNation.org. Please, my friends, write it down. Join me there. HunterNation.org. It's a clearinghouse, an epicenter, a circling of the wagons for American families who are fed up with the criminal abuse of power and the treachery that being inflicted on the middle class and the gas prices and the food shortage and the baby formula shortage and an open border and, and, a, and a government, the United States government, importing fentanyl across an open border, slaughtering Americans. Alan, we have to demand legal votes and we have to vote. If the real conservatives, that we call it HunterNation.org, because we found out that so many licensed hunters who are the, 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 the pillar of conservative values, so many didn't vote. They weren't even mm-hmm. registered to vote. So we made a difference in 2016. Believe me, we made a difference in 2020. We made a difference in Virginia. We made a difference in, in San Francisco with, their, with the callback of this prosecutor that was on the side of criminality. Yes. So if we're not voting those core values, God, family, country, constitution, bill of rights, the Ten Commandments, the golden rule, that man in the arena work ethic, law and order, no more smash and grab, no more stabbings, no more cold cocking by recidivistic monsters. We can stop this if we vote in constitutionalists. HunterNation.org. Absolutely. Now let's, hey guys, let's turn off the compressor. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a workshop here, Alan. The compressor's well, okay. going off. The phones are going off. The uh, air conditioning's going off. But uh, that break, that that's why you love me because I'm down to earth and I Absolutely. do podcasts from my barn. This is not canned. Well, let's switch, uh, you know, a little bit and let's talk about the fact you're about to hit the road again with a a new album, Detroit Muscle. Am I correct? Yeah, I've got a great, great band, Jason Hartless on drums and Greg Smith on bass. In fact, 
the Nugent band is going to descend on Minnesota this Saturday because who are you going to call, Alan, if Federal Ammunition Company is having its 100-year anniversary? I think I'm the ballistically coefficient guitar player <laughs> for the Federal Ammunition 100-year anniversary, but we are going on the road with a brand-new killer rhythm and blues rock and roll firestorm called Detroit Muscle. My guys put their heart and soul into every lick, every night, every concert, and we'll be on the road for about six weeks in July and August. And then I will cleanse my soul during the bow hunting season. But yeah, this is going to be a great rock and roll year. I just hope, I hope that diesel isn't 20 bucks a gallon by the time we get out there. Yeah, that's incredible what's happening. And one of the uh, songs that, uh, you know, a part of this new album is based upon those incredible words that were spoken October the 2nd, 1835 at Gonzales, Texas. Tell us about the song, Come and Take It. Well, you know, I'm an instinctive guy. I never went to college. I was too busy learning important stuff. And uh, I've always been gregarious. I, I, I have a lot of friends. I, I know all these people in the music industry and the, and the, and the hunting industry and the, and the off-road industry and the farming industry and the ranching. And I have a good core circle and a very vast core circle. As you witnessed when we were together yes. doing the, the Border Patrol, there is a love affair between people that put their heart and soul into being the best that they can be. And again, I mentioned farmers, ranchers, cops, teachers, hardware store operators. So when I get my guitar on, <laughs> I'm surrounded by some killer guitars right now, and I start playing, and I do interviews every day, and I identify the, the violation, the criminality of infringing on our right to keep and bear arms. So sometimes, let's say I just uh, got done kissing Shemaine. I would probably write a song called uh, Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang. But when I get done doing an interview and, and talking about the oath violating by our government and the dishonesty of the media and Walt Disney going to the dark side, sometimes those spirits and that attitude comes out in a song. So I started cranking on this lick that said, come and take it. Go ahead and try. Go ahead and die. And it's about freedom. And we met him at the Concord Bridge and we climbed up Iwo Jima. Mm -hmm. And we, we got this freedom on the blood and guts of warriors who fought evil on our behalf. So I wrote a song called, Don't You Even Try It, Don't You Tread on Me, You Can Do or Die in the Land of the Free, Come and Take It. And then live in the concerts, we uh, changed the lyrics to Let's Go Brandon and a few other choice uh, street terms. But the second verse goes, No more kings, no tyrants, no more jackboot thugs. We will unleash violence for the freedom that we love. It's a serious song. It's a fun song, believe it or not, because it's high energy and the guys just pound like Motown funk brothers on backstraps. But the album is full of all kinds of different songs. But that was the first song we released because I saw what was coming. I saw the dishonesty of our government and their knee-jerk reaction to infringe. They're not allowed to infringe. You guys need to go after the bad guys and go after people who threaten people. Leave the rest of us the hell alone. So the love song, Come and Take It, it erupted, and the guys started playing with me, and we recorded it, and it's one of the most popular songs on the record. Well, we look forward to hearing that. and As a matter of fact, we're going to uh, try to incorporate that into this uh, podcast when it comes out. If, You're if, welcome if, to use it anytime you want for whatever reason you want. It's really a great song at a barbecue, by the way. All right, we'll do that. Uh, 
Other than HunterNation.org, where can people follow you? Where can people get information about the upcoming Detroit Muscle Tour? Well, I have a great website, TedNugent.com, and I had an assembly line here again today. I signed a bunch of guitars and amps and guns and bows and ammo and stuff for various military and law enforcement and children's charities. But I've also been signing thousands and thousands of a hat that says, come and take it. <laughs> so you can go to TedNugent.com. And you can get a, a personally autographed come and take it or I will not comply hat. You know, two beautiful little gestures of rugged individualism and we the people not letting anybody tread on us. So TedNugent.com will give you all the information you need for a great, great summer. Well, I appreciate you being on the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. And remember, as Thomas Jefferson said, it's about the consent of the governed and it's about the laws of nature and nature's God. And all of our rights come from the creator God, not just our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, but also our property. And the very first and only his life and it's so important the second amendment enables us to protect our life our families and that way of life so god bless you thank you so much ted nugent for being with us and safe travels out there on the road thank you colonel allen west and from we the people out here on the not so mean streets of america thank you for your service thank you for your sacrifices and your dedication and the risks that you take and that you continue to do for this great nation that has gone asunder and we thank you so much for putting your heart and soul into making America great every day. God bless you and Godspeed. Yes, sir. Give my best to Shemaine. I bet. And our love to your family and everybody out there. God bless you. Roger that. Bye, sir. Thank you so very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for another episode of the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. You know, a couple of days ago was the 247th birthday of the United States Army. It's an army that in my family, my father, my dad served as a corporal in World War II. My father-in-law, 24 years, two combat tours of duty in Vietnam. Dad's buried in Marietta National Cemetery. Father-in-law is buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Now, we did have the black sheep of the family. That was my older brother who became a Marine. He served in Vietnam. But at the age of 15, my dad challenged me to once again, step into the fire and be a soldier. And I took that oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I took that obligation freely without any purpose of evasion or mental reservation, so help me God. 22 years of service, 13 countries, three combat zones. Today, my nephew, my older brother's son, is a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army already served in three combat tours of duty, and he's about to take command of an artillery battalion, just like his uncle once commanded an artillery battalion. My oldest daughter's husband, Troy, he served in the United States Army Reserves. And right now, as we speak, my youngest daughter's husband, Austin's husband, J.D., is going through basic training in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. All of those generations. When I think about my grandson, Jackson, he's got a dad that's a soldier, a granddad that's a soldier, and two great-granddads that were soldiers. And we as soldiers took that oath to support and defend the Constitution, and the Second Amendment is an important part of that Constitution in our Bill of Rights. 
See, those First Amendment rights, the freedom of religion, the free exercise thereof, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of the press, the right to petition your government for redress of grievances, they mean nothing if you don't have the ability to protect yourself and defend yourself against totalitarianism and tyranny. And that is what history has taught us. An armed individual is a citizen. A disarmed one is a subject. And we have seen that happen all throughout the 20th century, even before that. And we have seen it happen even into the 21st century in Venezuela, which was once one of the most prosperous nations in the Western Hemisphere. When Hugo Chavez came to power, one of the first things he did was to take away and eliminate private gun ownership. Mass shootings are horrible things. But mass shootings, we should be focused on the shooter not the people that are the legal, law-abiding, responsible gun owners in this country. When I hear a member of the United States House of Representatives, someone that I served with, Representative Cicilline of Rhode Island, in a hearing say that he don't, does not want to hear any of that constitutional rights BS. And he did not say BS, he said the actual words. To me, that's grounds for him to be removed from office. If you're supposed to be there as an elected official, if you're supposed to be there to take an oath to our Constitution and the rights thereof, if you're Joe Biden and you're running around saying that no amendment to the Constitution is absolute, then you're in violation of your oath. I will never be in violation of my oath. And that's why I will always support and defend the Constitution. And part of the Bill of Rights is the Second Amendment. The motto here in Texas that was established on October the 2nd of 1835 at the battlefield on Gonzales, when the Mexican cavalry showed up to take away a very small little cannon, was come and take it. Our freedoms and liberties are being challenged right now. We cannot allow tragedies to undermine those freedoms and liberties. As you've heard tonight, there are some very definitive things that no one is paying attention to when it comes to making sure that we are safe and protected. There are a lot of veterans out there that would love to be part of a school marshal program and protect our children at schools. There are high school junior ROTC programs out there. And these men and women, I'm sure, would be more than happy to serve as a line of defense for our young people in these schools. We need to harden our schools, but most importantly, parents, you need to be able to protect your loved ones. So as I close this podcast, the Second Amendment goes away. No other amendment will matter. And as Joe Biden said, he doesn't believe that any amendment to the Constitution, which he took an oath to uphold, is absolute. So maybe perhaps I should go back to being a slave since the 13th Amendment set me free or people like me. And the 14th Amendment made sure that those recently freed slaves who were all of a sudden citizens and ending slavery ensured that they had their Second Amendment rights as well. So Joy Behar, blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asians, we all have the right to be lawful gun owners in the United States of America. And we don't need any more gun laws. We just need to uphold the laws that we have right now. Thanks so very much to producer Chad, executive producer Lisa, 
and our theme music that comes from another soldier, Chief Warrant Officer 3, Ryan Weaver. God bless you all. God bless America. And good night. Before they burn it down.